นโมทัสสะมังคุวะทัวระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสนโมทัสสะมังคุวะทัวระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสนโมทัสสะมังคุวะทัวระหะทัวสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสพุทังดมังสังขังนมัสสะ
my cootie has solar panels on it, and I, I appreciate many of these uh, these advances in technology and the benefits that have come from it. But I don't appreciate the state of anxiety that our world is in. It's really challenging. And can we include this challenge in our practice? Uh, something I think is worth picking up as a, a contemplation. Now, change... Uh, whether it's gradual change, apparent change, or rapidly accelerating change, change has always been with us. Change is nothing new. Uh, change is the name of the game. And the Buddha identified change as one of the fundamental truths which we would be wise to pay attention to. Uh, however, the evidence is that we haven't been particularly wise uh, in uh, learning the consequences of the increased power that becomes available with technology. Now, technology in and of itself, it's, it's neutral. It's, it's, you can't say technology is good or bad, but it does amplify everything. Yeah. It, it can, it has the potential to amplify the possibility of wholesome-minded individuals collaborating to come up with creative solutions to some of uh, human suffering. And whether that's in, in practical matters like cleaning up the, the, the acres of plastic in the middle of the ocean, and you know, collaboration is powerfully significant and, and we can benefit from that. Or maybe it's the opportunity to... Uh, spread Dhamma teachings for free all around the world. That's, I think, just an absolutely marvellous thing that, that we can do. I, I suspect probably everybody in this monastery, except for me, um, is here because of uh, the internet, probably. Uh, but also, yes, we, it amplifies our foolishness. And uh, uh, one seriously confused individual uh, has much more rapid access to uh, weaponry and um, things that can do themselves and other people harm than they've ever had before. So, so it's not technology that's the problem, it's our relationship to it. And this also is not exactly new, it's been around for at least several decades, uh, the evidence that technology is giving us all this power and uh, the rate of change is accelerating. But I think it's pretty clear we haven't been very wise in how we've uh, dealt with it uh, uh, for the last four or five or six or seven decades and uh, technology has been very clearly evident and uh, more available. Uh, it looks like we've used it primarily to make ourselves more comfortable. Mm. It can do that. And, uh, and, yeah, like, as I was saying, the example of central heating and, uh, or medicine, uh, instantly available food and convenient travel. 
However, that's, that's not necessarily skillful. You know, just becoming comfortable can, in fact, well, I'm sure all of us who stop and think about it, don't have to think for very long, we realise become comfortable, it can easily become complacent. And it seems like that's what we've done. And so here we are now, we have all sorts of, of uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria because of the overuse of antibiotics. We have overly processed food which don't contain sufficient nutrients and so people buy cheap food but they don't have a decent diet and and then there's of course the cyber criminals which are increasing at an extraordinarily rapid rate and so the technology that is largely responsible for this evident accelerating rate of change is not the problem it's our heedless relationship to this power, to this facility, to these tools. So, as disciples of the Buddha, what is the, what is the cure? What is the remedy? How do, we, how do we pick this up? How do we engage this? What is it? Is there a remedy? From the Buddha's perspective, wisdom is always the remedy. Wisdom outshines the consequence of heedlessness. The radiance of wisdom teaches us what we need to learn so as to stop being heedless. So long as we're unaware, unawakened, uninformed about reality, we keep relating to technology in ways that, yes, may make us more comfortable, but in effect, that puts us to sleep. Being entertained by technology is uh, almost, I think one could almost say it's, a, it's almost like a frivolous relationship to technology. We could be using technology in a wise way that increases the benefit for oneself and for others, you know, increases the benefit for all beings. It's, it's really, when we stop and think about it, it's really an unimaginable oh, fault that given the potential we have for evening out the injustices in the world, that we still have people who are living in poverty. We still have people living without basic human rights. So if we register this, if we bring this to heart, bring this to mind, say what's really called for is not just using technology to make ourselves comfortable. That's understandable, okay. But we really need to pick it up in a wise way, in a way that generates real benefit, and to have confidence that that's possible. To have confidence that wisdom outshines heedlessness. Light always conquers darkness. Uh, Something I like to remind myself of often. It doesn't matter how long a room has been dark, enormous darkness just one little light bulb one little minuscule tungsten filament when the juice flows through it that darkness is completely transformed it doesn't matter how long it's been dark or how threatening the darkness appears the darkness is actually transformed and is no longer frightening you see where we're going so heedlessness is not something we are obliged to live with we can do something about it but it does require 
Uh, well, in Buddhist speak, it requires wisdom, uh, understanding. And, and the Buddha did very explicitly speak about this, how, in fact, the recollection, the contemplation on change is a cause for the rising of wisdom. Yeah. very famous stanza in Pali which says, Sabe Sankara Anichati, Yantha Panyaya Pasati Atani Bindati Duke, Esamago Visudhya. That last line there, Eso Mago Visudhya, which means this is how you see reality. Well, literally what it translates is this is the path of purification. Mm. This is how to free the heart from the distortions, which means we don't see reality. And how do we get there? How do we... What is this journey? What is the characteristic of this journey? Sabe sankara anichati. Anichati recognizes impermanence. All conditioned phenomena is impermanent, is in a state of change, a state of flux, unstable, uncertain. All phenomena, all conditioned phenomena is uncertain. Yadha panyaya pasati. Seeing this with panya, with wisdom, pasati, pasati, like we pasana, yadha panyaya pasati. Seeing this with wisdom, atani bindati dukkha. One becomes disillusioned with the drama. Atta nibindati duke. This word nibindati means disillusioned, dispassionate. One turns away from tedious, the tedious drama of the world that we're normally enamored with becomes apparent. There's no end to this always trying to become happy by gratifying my desires. There's no end to it. That's not satisfaction. We mistake satisfaction for momentary gratification over and over again. The itch arises, we scratch it and we feel better. But it doesn't last. We need to rise above the way it appears to be and see beyond the way it appears to be, that is, to see wisely, to use our intelligence and say, even though I want to scratch that itch, it's not going to produce the healing. In fact, it's going to obstruct the healing. And so we have to inhibit that impulse. So the drama of the world, the dukkha, that is the result of our deluded relationship with desire, becomes apparently fruitless and tedious and disinteresting. So the drama of the world becomes boring when we pay attention to the truth of impermanence. So the path of wisdom is to really raise up this instability, not to, not to turn away with fear and believe in the anxiety. And even when the collective anxiety is getting intense, yeah. not to believe in it. Rather, uh, this is not sure. That's a wise thought. This is not sure. Yeah. But it really looks like such and such. It really does look like such and such. Is it? Well, it's not like that yet. Yeah. So really to trust in the power of wisdom to outshine heedlessness of body, speech and mind. The heedlessness of the world is a boring, tedious affair 
that we have mistakenly allowed ourselves to get caught up in. So talking like this, of course, is uh, what gets Buddhism a bad reputation and, and some people think Buddhism is pessimistic when you speak this way. Well, that's because they haven't grown tired yet of the, the drama of the world. And it is, really, the drama is like an addiction. You know? As with all the other addictions, you know, addictions to our gadgets. I mean, we all know we should turn off the internet at a certain time. We all should turn off our gadgets at a certain time. Yeah. but do we do it? We all know what a good diet is, but do we follow it? We all know what a good exercise routine is, but do we follow it? We all have these addictions that we're caught up in. How do we free ourselves from these unfortunate addictions? Well, the Buddha was recommending the wisdom that frees us comes by paying attention to impermanence. Everything is impermanent. Everything is changing. So even the habit of heedlessness that leads to selfishness, you know, the selfishness which has increased over the last few decades as a result of the power of technology, why would we assume that that selfishness is a permanent thing? Why would we do that? That's, a, that's not an intelligent assumption. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that slavery was thought to be a good idea. It wasn't that long ago. There's all sorts of abuse and injustice that was tolerated just a few decades ago. It's not to say that slavery and all these other forms of abuse and injustice have been dealt with, but certainly in the last mere few decades, the last certainly the last century, there's been extraordinary improvements in how we relate to each other, how we behave towards each other, the recognition of human rights. The increase in education, I would suggest, has produced an increase in empathy. Maybe with this continuing, maybe we'll get to see that this obsession with me and my way, with selfishness, is not a fixed thing, even though it looks like a serious pandemic at the moment narcissism is a kind of global religion maybe that too can be transformed so let's not assume that the symptoms the consequences of our heedless relationship with the power of technology selfishness that's resulted is a fixed thing this too is changing, is unstable it's not a fixed thing So if we get interested in this and study these things, don't just believe in what the media tells us about how terrible it all is and everything's going to hell in a handbasket. We study about it. We say, well, it can appear that way, but there's lots of things that I've been fooled by in the past that didn't turn out to be true. So, well, this is not a sure thing. That's contemplating impermanence. That's wise reflection on the law of anicca, of impermanence, of change. Hmm. Some of you might be familiar with the book by Steven Pinker. Uh, At least in part in his thesis he ascribes to education some of the benefit that human beings now experience worldwide over the last 50 to 100 years is 
tremendous improvement in human society. There's much less killing going on, much fewer wars going on, much more easily available education and health care. And we can ascribe that some of that to education. And if we start to educate young people in particular mm. with views, wise views on existence, like for instance, encourage them to contemplate impermanence, encourage them to cultivate mindfulness. And, and there are now, uh, all of us will be aware, I'm sure, of the opportunities for studying particularly uh, courses in secular mindfulness and I think the programs that are, have been introduced into quite a number of schools in this country are a really good thing. There's, you might have heard of this program called Dot B that is around where uh, children are being taught this Dot B which is, basically means stop and breathe. Yeah. something happens to you, somebody hurls an insult at you or some form of abuse and you know, whether it comes in via your smartphone or somebody yells something at you or something has upset you or you feel frustrated don't just react, dot B stop, breathe yeah. now if children are being introduced to this possibility the, the possibility of cultivating mindfulness and Cognitive scientists are backing it up with research which shows how the, uh, the changes that can take place to the brain, the amygdala, uh, changes uh, corresponding to doing a course of mindfulness and, and this is the part of the brain that's really significant in, in processing anxiety and fear. Yeah. Well, that's uh, a wise use of technology. Yeah. It can... Personally, I find it very, very hopeful that technology is being used in these ways to find what can we do that means we can handle this accelerating rate of change and not uh, fall into uh, uninspected assumptions about it. It can feel threatening, but is there a way of feeling our feeling of being threatened without becoming threatened? Hmm. Is there a way of feeling our feelings about everything and anything without becoming defined and lost in that? Well, this is the training in, in mindfulness, sense restraint and wise reflection. Yeah, a way we can go beyond the, the conditioned reactions to life's struggles. Certainly, there's plenty around that can trigger the feeling threatened. But let's not assume that feeling threatened is a permanent thing. Everything's changing. Sabe, Sankara, Anicca, all conditioned phenomena is in a state of change. Let's not fix it with our heedless thinking and saying this is permanent, this is a fixed thing. Everything, everything can change, everything is changing. So I find there's a lot of, actually a lot of hope in the possibility of improved education. 
using technology to study what education is going to serve our real needs, not just how to use technology to make ourselves comfortable. Studying the research, studying the evidence that there is around. There's another part of our brains called the intella, which has got something to do with how we interact with our bodies, how we register what's going on in our bodies, how aware we are of the sensation in our bodies. Mindfulness can be seen to increase the size of that part of the brain called the intella. And with that increased mindfulness and that increased accurate reading of what's happening in our body, there's a better chance of increased empathy. Empathy is a complex process. I don't want to overly simplify what's going on, but it's fair enough, I think, to say that part of it is being in touch with what does our body tell us? What's being played out as we observe the behaviour or the activity of somebody else? What's happening for other people? We register it in, 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 a, in a way in our own bodies and, and that teaches us something. Yeah. A very simple example of this is if you're watching a video of somebody skiing and they have an accident and injure their leg and your leg twitches when you watch it. Yeah. Mm. Your body registers and training and mindfulness can help develop those aspects of our whole body mind sensitivity, whole body mind awareness, which means that we're better informed about experience, better informed about the world we live in, better informed about our humanity. So if this improved education uh, includes training in mindfulness, mm, includes teaching people how to think about such things like cooperation. Of course, education can just be about teaching people to do computer programming or or, uh, becoming familiar with um, uh, research skills and so on. But it can also teach us how to use our thinking to contemplate such matters as yeah. cooperation. Yeah. Well, like Darwin's theory of the survival of the fittest, yeah. to think, what does that really mean? You know, teach young people to really, really consider what does that mean, the survival of the fittest, and what does the fittest mean anyway? Well, when we look into it, yeah. or if we don't look into it, maybe we think the fittest means being some sort of a kind of uh, superman or or superwoman or some kind of heroic individual Uh, well that's the uninspected assumption but when we look more carefully more skillfully we see that actually everybody's got to go to sleep and the only ones that survive are those that know how to cooperate and 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 have friends who are going to look after their cattle and their, their livestock and and the rest of the, their community while they're sleeping. Cooperation is essential. You know, survival of the fittest doesn't necessarily mean what it, it appears to mean. It also means survival. Those who can cooperate will survive.
contemplating such things as the teaching young people how to uh, consider the place of intuition. Probably the majority of people, not everybody, but the majority of people probably would allow for the idea of having a gut feeling about something. But how much should we trust our gut feeling? Should we just trust our gut feeling? Should we just go on instinct? Should we just go on intuition? What is the place of conceptual analysis? Now, there are, of course, those who have defaulted to living completely up in their heads and everything's about conceptual analysis and they've numbed themselves against uh, an intuitive appreciation of the world they live in. Uh, but I think probably the majority of us feel well, intuition's got, got, got a place. But what is the place of intuition? Well, if we can use our mindfulness, if we use our developed faculties to consider these things for ourselves, then we can see that there is a place for intuition, but there is a place for conceptual analysis. And these, these two aspects of our humanity work together, cooperate. And, and, yeah. What is the place of optimism? What is the consequence of pessimism? Yeah. Personally, I favour and like to think of myself as a strategic optimist. I don't like to think of myself as a naive optimist. I find naive optimism is embarrassing. Life is not all lovely. There are some very serious challenges which we need to be ready to take on board and take responsibility for coming to terms with But if we allow ourselves to fall into perpetual pessimism, I would say that's heedless. What is the consequence of that? Well, it's like hope and hopelessness. Naive hope, again, can be rather embarrassing. In some circles, hope has got a bad reputation. It's, It's assumed that being hopeful is inherently naive, but uh, I would say that when hopefulness is associated with mindfulness, with sense restraint, with wise reflection, then hopefulness is a very effective way of dealing with fear, a very effective way of dealing with chaos, a very effective way of bolstering our spiritual immune system, our emotional immune system, it's defending ourselves in a skillful way against the chaos or the apparent chaos of life and when there's not real wisdom to be positively disposed or I like to think of of being creatively vigilant creative vigilance is a lovely uh, expression creative vigilance it's that Disposition that has just the right amount of tension. Too much tension leads to stress. Not enough tension leads to apathy. The right amount of tension gives rise to the right degree of impetus to investigate and to come to terms with the challenges that we all face. And so this creative vigilance, is, I think, is nourished by... Yeah. Choosing to be optimistic 
is not avoiding the painful struggles of life, it's just accepting that by being optimistic we can have a positive influence on the future. If we think too much about these things, then yes, we could argue ourselves out of being hopeful, but to be lost in hopelessness leads to depression. And when we're depressed and despairing, we make bad decisions. Bad decisions that affect us, feed into our addictions, cause harm to ourselves and cause harm to others. But when there's hope, uh, hopefulness that is well developed, uh, measured hopefulness uh, that, as I said, is associated with mindfulness, with sensory strain and wise reflection, uh, such hopefulness, I would suggest, uh, supports wisdom. And it's wisdom that helps us deal with such things as this uh, evident accelerating rate of change. It's wisdom which introduces us or shows us the possibility of how to generate uh, mutual benefit, the kind of benefit that uh, increases well-being for ourselves and and for others. And thank you very much this evening for your attention. Andamang Dhamma Kattaya Sadhukaran